Hi, I'm Sabrina Halper, and today I'm with Caroline Spiegel, and I'm so excited. We're going to talk about the porn industry, how she's innovating it, what it was like starting a company at 22 years old, and a few other fascinating topics, and I'm so glad that she's joining us. Hi, Caroline. Hey, Sabrina. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. It's my absolute honor and privilege. <laughs> Caroline, I l really admire what you're building because Thank porn you. is a $97 billion industry, but there are so many gaps and flaws, <laughs> and you are working to solve a lot of them. And I just want to hear the story of Quinn from the beginning. Why did you start Quinn, and what is it? Yeah, so... Thank you so much for having me, first of all. I'm so happy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I started Quinn in 2019. Um, I dropped out of college to start it. And I kind of think of Quinn as, like, two separate experiences. They're sort of, like, my personal experience and anecdotal experience of, like, not being able to get off to mainstream porn and not be feeling sort of, like, confused and um, frustrated by, like, the sex content I was being served as, like, you know, young women. And then there's sort of like the larger picture of the porn industry and feminism and free will and democracy and capitalism and all these things that have only emerged once I've started like building this company and, and thinking about these things that um, honestly, I feel grateful because the like the timing could not have been more um, just like apt. Like I feel like uh, I had a lot of opportunities to explore these topics firsthand and, and yeah, but what is Quinn? Quinn is audio porn for women. Um, I like to think it's the easiest way to get off for a woman. They're like five to 10 minute audios designed to make you orgasm. Um, and they're not like audiobook stories. They're like more like moaning and kind of like jerk off instructions. Some people know those like from uh, Pornhub or other sites like it's sort of like that vibe like one of our most popular things is like guided masturbation mm -hmm. so sort of like an instruction type vibe um, could we hear one of your favorite <laughs> yes, audience let's get to it I, let's see the product the elevator breaks down funny how that happens huh I guess the electricity being generated inside must have messed with the system so Despite being trapped, you don't panic, and neither does he. Instead, he turns to face you. He looks deep into your eyes. You haven't even exchanged a single word, yet you both know exactly what the other wants. <laughs> okay, so you kind of get the vibe. I don't know. Like we can also totally play more, but you get it. You we, get it. <laughs> I get it. Um. It's awesome. And when did you, like, first get exposed to audio porn? Because it's yeah. not something that is mainstream yet. Um, that's true. So I got exposed to it on Tumblr and kind of it's basically been a big thing on, like, Not Safe for Work Twitter and Tumblr and Reddit for a while. Um, and extremely popular with, like, young women on those sites. And so that's how I found it initially. Got it. And what, so I guess you had found it at a point where there was already a big following and a group of people that were really interested in this. And like when you brought it to your life and your friends, like what type of reaction did you get? So that was actually the most surprising part because I definitely like loved audio porn when I heard it. But I think what made me want to start Quinn was like, I sent it to people in my sorority, our sorority, and they loved it. And it just like, people also just started, I think, 
opening up to me about this part of their life in a way that was really new and interesting to me. Um, and a lot of girls were like, oh, my God, like, I didn't realize all I needed was, like, a compliment to make me wet. Like, I needed, like, to hear these things that, that um, like, I needed to hear the expression of desire. And they weren't getting that. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what makes audio porn special is that you get to feel desired. Definitely. <laughs> and, and on that point, I yeah. think there's been, like, a huge push towards audio in general. And you can mm. tell from the explosion of the podcast industry. So it makes sense that, you know, porn is going in this direction as well. Um, what do you think, personally, is the difference between watching a visual piece of porn versus listening to a piece of audio? You feel desired. And what mm -hmm. else does it give that listener? So I've actually started <laughs> saying it's a little bit of, like, a... a it's a little bit corny, but I think audio porn is actually more visual than visual porn. And I compare it to, like, the first time you read Harry Potter. Like, you see this whole vibrant, insane, and magical world in your head. And then you watch the movie and you're like, oh, that's how it's supposed to look. Like, fuck, I'm so dumb. And so that's kind of the same thing with audio, um, especially audio porn. Because, it, again, it's not like a podcast. It's not like an audio book. It's more this, like, you really get a vibrant hot as fuck fantasy in your head and images in your head and it brings up all these things for you um and it's just like much more customizable than <laughs> watching uh, visual porn totally and that yeah. makes so much sense and it reminds me of 50 shades of gray and how mm. when people first read it like they were so obsessed with it and then the movie like didn't necessarily hit the same because yeah. <laughs> everyone had kind of custom customized their personal fantasy and it was like all about imagination which i think women want a little bit more of in sex. Yes. And, um, it yeah. hits different for sure. That's Definitely. the right word. <laughs> and, um, okay, so I want to ask you about your founder experience mm -hmm. because you were 22 when you started this company. And um, I feel like there's a huge learning curve being a founder. And probably every like six months, you can look back at those six months in retrospect and you've learned something new at a rapid pace. So it's like, what stands out to you as things that you've learned, ways you've evolved and things you might have thought about differently at the beginning versus today? Yeah, well, I know I've told you this like in our other conversations, but I feel like the first year, year and a half of Quinn, I did literally everything wrong. Like I cannot think of one thing I did like the right way, ultimately. Um, so I think one thing that you can take away from my story is that you can literally fuck everything up and still survive. So I think my biggest learning would be, like, to just go for it. And mistakes are going to happen. Like, lows are going to happen. But at least, you know, you have – I believe in you if you're listening to this. And, like, you need people in your life that believe in you, whether it's your mom, your dog, your best friend – your co-founder, whoever it is, like, just keep going. That's the one thing I've learned because you are inevitably going to make a, more mistakes than you can imagine and worse mistakes than you can imagine. Um, that's my that's my two cents. That's, am that's amazing <laughs> advice because I think there's, like, from the outside, there can just kind of be this facade of, like, okay, even – Caroline started this company and now it's this big company and that mm -hmm. just worked out. You know, like people aren't always seeing right. the inner workings of these young founders mm -hmm. and what it takes and the tumultuous journey and every day's putting out a new fire. But you have a lot to be proud of with what you've built. You do. <laughs> and I guess like, what are you most proud of about your company or in your company? That's, I mean, that's so sweet to say. Um, 
And also, I will just add, like, I've recently been added to this, like, anonymous founder forum. And I would say the one takeaway I've had is, like, nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. Okay? <laughs> like, even these people I've been, like, looking up to and, like, oh, my God, on Twitter, they're so sick. Like, all this stuff. They got so much money. Like, they are absolutely clueless and, like, are asking everyone for any help possible. So just never be afraid to be, to look stupid or to look silly because everyone is. Um and then I would say, okay, on the thing I'm most proud of, it would definitely be, like, the team I have today. Like, Quinn is not me, even though I talk about it so much, and I'm kind of, like, always out there <laughs> pushing it on people, <laughs> um, aggressively convincing people to use it. But but behind the scenes, right, it's like Quinn is everyone that uses Quinn, and Quinn is everyone who's put any effort into building it. So, I mean... Yeah, I just feel proud of the, like yeah. the teamwork makes the dream yes, work. Sabrina. It's so true. <laughs> and a lot of founders say that actually the hardest part of their job is building the right team and managing people well and learning how to do that. And so like how was it for you like getting to the team you have today? Like how difficult was that? What was that process? It's so hard. Um I mean, one like kind of piece of advice that I actually feel is true is like this idea of Hire slow, fire fast. Um, because like a romantic relationship, you can, once like things start going wrong, you can be like, oh my God, it's my fault. Oh my God, it's their fault. And it just like becomes a black hole of an energy stock trying to fix the relationship. And I would say just be like, okay, it's not vibing. And like, we can try again or we can try to fix this. But if it's not working, it's not working. And cut your losses soon, fire fast. But I would say like, yeah, just, like, take your time getting to know someone when you're hiring them. And, and like, would you want to, like, do you really value their opinion? Can they be honest with you? Like, can you have good chats? Do they get, do they believe in you? Like, there are so many things. And I honestly would just defer to whoever is in that situation of hiring. Like, they would know what they need best. But I do, th I do think it can't be understated the importance of, like, who you spend your time with, who you build with. There's that thing that's, like, you are the top five people you spend time with or whatever. Yeah. And literally, I mean, Leah and Devin are my two, like, closest people at the company, and th I feel like I'm married to them. I feel like we have, like, a three-way marriage, so, yeah. That's hot. <laughs> and no, we each, like, do different, like, yeah, things. <laughs> that's, that's such a good way to put it because I never thought about the process of, like, when things aren't going well with someone, like, how hard that is to not take personally and that just leads yes. you down something wrong that's a really good piece of advice and a good quick slogan I like that <laughs> thank you hire <laughs> slow fire fast and, and it's good for dating too right yeah yes <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like uh, fire fast yeah, fire. yeah. <laughs> I actually want to ask you like how has your experience running a company about sex mm -hmm. ex like affected your dating experience like yeah. I imagine that mm -hmm. if I started dating someone that was like a sex expert, like a sex expert, I would right. be intimidated. Have you have you dealt with that at all? It's so funny you say that because I went to a party with LA people from high school and I ran into a guy I used to hook up with in high school. And the first thing he said to me was like, wow, I didn't know you were so freaky. And I was like, <laughs> like I think like if that is someone's like immediate reaction to someone starting a sex company or being interested in sex, like, then they're probably a fucking idiot. Because, like, <laughs> I think um, being interested in sex doesn't really say much about how serious you are or... And, in fact, it should kind of convey the opposite. Um, and it just kind of bothers me when people are, like, 
so surface level like that. Um, yeah. But I think it, it's, like, a funny joke. So, like, I get it if, like, I'm on a first date and someone's, like, nah, are you, like, super fucking kinky? <laughs> like, I'm, like, yeah, no. But, but I think that's also a thing is, like, when I'm having sex with someone now, it's, like, I don't know. I just, I do feel a little bit, like, oh, I hope they don't expect that I'm this crazy dominatrix, like, person. And I and I hope they see me as, like, a real vulnerable you know, person who's trying her best. Of course. <laughs> I'm of just course. a Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> of, no, yeah. of course. Of mm. course. And has your experience, like, building audio porn, building mm. a company around exposing other people to audio porn, and has that changed your experience with sex, or has it changed your experience with yourself almost? Like, I, yeah. I wonder. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think, like, there's almost two sides to it. Um, I think there are things about sex you can only learn from having sex. And then obviously like a lot of my job is like creating content around sex, creating hot takes. Like, I mean, obviously making audio porn and, and things like, or like uh, talking to creators about making audio porn, that sort of thing. Um, but I would say like, it doesn't really translate to my sex life. Like I, I think like having good sex is one thing I, I guess Quinn has sort of helped me learn is, like, having good sex is really about your relationship with the person. Um, and I'm not saying you have to be, like, married to them, but just, like, if you guys have a good vibe. And so in that sense, it's not like I've taken, like, hot tips from Quinn and, like, applied them. It's more just, like... <laughs> you haven't reenacted, yeah. <laughs> right. Fantasies Oh, my God, Harry. that's another thing people say. They're like, are you on Quinn? I'm like, just do better. <laughs> but, but, no, I, I, I think it's, like... Um, yeah, and I also, one of my biggest pet peeves, I think it's because I'm a Pisces, is not being taken seriously. Me too. Yeah, you're Pisces. That's <laughs> why so we're friends. Is not being taken seriously because I love being goofy. I love being outrageous. I love, like, saying shocking things. But also, like, don't be, don't be, like, don't get the wrong idea. You know totally. what I mean? Like, I think you have, you're a multifaceted person and you can <laughs> yes. handle having both of those things. And yeah. I think as a woman, it's like, it can actually be hard to, like, be able to live in, like, multiple areas. Like, be able mm -hmm. to make a TikTok about sex and mm -hmm. then sit in a meeting with investors. And, like, I can see how it's—people are quick to judge and, like, right. put people in certain boxes. Um, you are out there. You're talking about sex. You're going on podcasts. And, like, <laughs> were you always comfortable talking about sex? Because mm. most people aren't, honestly. Yeah, um, no, definitely not. Um, I've always loved shocking people and and getting a response out of people and getting them to, like, we, we talk about this too, we both love deep conversations, and I think sex is one way to really find out a lot about someone or asking them about sex. Yeah, deep, meaningful conversations, <laughs> DMC, you taught me that, and it's so true. Yeah, mm -hmm. so I think, like, I've always loved that. I lo I've always loved, like, yeah, surprising people and getting them to think about things, and I think one thing I have learned about sex is that it's not as simple as, like, here's your life and here's your sex life. It's more like sex is literally a part of everything, and the more you start getting into it, it's like you realize, like, how true that, like, seriously, I cannot say how true that is. <laughs> like, sex is infused in every one of our lives, in every part of our lives. And wow. I think that we are raised with this idea that, like, sex is just like a separate box. Um, and I think it's worth challenging that idea because it's just not real. You know, it's just not how our brains work or, or how things are in reality. So, yeah, yeah. I guess it probably actually shapes so much more than is on the surface level. Right. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> another thing I'm really curious about is your fundraising process and how that was for you mm-hmm. because of a couple reasons. Yeah. The first one is because when you started it in 2019, you were a 22-year-old girl. And in 2019, Mm -hmm. less than 3% of VC funding went to female-led companies. So already you're fighting an uphill battle. (laughs) And then on top of that, you are building a company that's about female sexual wellness and and women pleasuring themselves and you know something that to some people or investors might be considered like a taboo subject that they just, you know, wouldn't talk about or wouldn't get involved in. And I don't know. I can like imagine you in front of a boardroom of guys or like of course like Things are changing rapidly, so it's not yeah. always that. But just, like, how was that experience? Was it awkward? Was it empowering? Like, did you face a lot of criticism? Or did you feel like people were your biggest champions? Like, what was that like? I was actually talking to one of my advisors about this recently. And it's funny because there's a lot of emerging female-run funds. And so you might think, like, oh, I should go to this, you know, like, super, like, female empowerment type fund. But I think the the truth is that a lot of those funds are actually hesitant to take risks or like kind of like reputational risks for good reason because they don't want to be seen as like a joke or silly or this like what we were just talking about the the conflation of like being interested in sex and being like not serious. Yeah. Um and so so that's like one thing that was surprising. I was like oh, I know that if I go to sort of this, like, woman with, like, a Sheryl Sandberg-type vibe, she'll get it. But no, I would not say that that was the case universally. There were a ton of women who did get it, and there were a ton of guys who did get it. Um, But I think, again, like, hiring, like, dating, it's really—I think it's, like, a good thing to just be, like, if this doesn't work, if they don't get it, they're not the right one. Yeah. And don't—I've talked to so many VCs, okay? Like— a, a sad, depressing amount of VC <laughs> introductions and meetings. And I would just say, don't like, don't waste your time worrying or being like, what's wrong with me? Just keep going. Keep looking for someone who gets you and gets your vision. Yeah. Because you don't have to keep convincing someone of what, like, why yes. what you're doing is good. That must be disheartening. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, exactly. You don't want to doubt her. And this <laughs> idea of, like, keep going. Like, mm-hmm. I, I listen to a lot of founder podcasts and how I built this. And I feel like that is the most common advice because they are actually, like, literally just keeping it going and dealing with every single obstacle is 90% of the work. Like, in terms of over time, it will amount to something, but it is yes. going to be really hard. And so you hear that advice. I'm sure you heard that from the beginning, but mm-hmm. when you were in it, was it ever really hard to believe in that and like to keep that? You have this vision and you're like starting this company and you're hyped about it. And then you go into a meeting that knocks you down and you're like, oh no. And I just wonder, like, how did you really keep yourself going? I mean, I think you're actually like really hitting on the core of like a lot of being of like what a being a founder is, which is like this feeling you had a huge letdown. You had something that made you feel like sh- like you're worthless. Are you going to keep going? Um, and I think like this, like midway through the pandemic, like this fall, I was really in a place of like everything is destroyed. Quinn is a mess. I hate my life. I hate everything. I, I feel so humiliated. Um, and... I honestly, like, there's one of my advisors, Alex, who I called, and I told her, like, what was going on. And I honestly just couldn't lie anymore because I was just, like, so sad. And she was like, 
no, like, you got this. Like, I believe in you. And she didn't have to. She could have very easily been like, you're right. <laughs> but she was like, let's get around together. Let's get you, like, a little more cash. Let's do this. And I honestly just needed one person to, like, really care at that point. Like, just be like, I, I didn't need, like, a bunch of people being like, yeah, that's nice. But, like, I needed someone who was just, like, going to drag me across the finish line. <laughs> um, and even my mom, who, like, literally is the most supportive person, at that point she was like, she was like, yeah, like, you know, do what you think is best. Like, she wasn't like, you got this. And I needed someone to just, like, really, like, set me on fire again. That was a long-winded answer. No, that is actually <laughs> – thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. Because I think there was probably – a bunch of founders feeling that way during the pan pandemic. And it's like there's two two roads to take here. It either burns or you keep it going and, like, it will thrive again. And um, I'm so proud of you. Thank thank you, Alex. And, and yeah, shout, shout out to her. Out. <laughs> no, honestly, honestly, I tell, like, and I, I tell her, like, every day, basically, I'm like, you're, you're a real one, you know? Yeah. Like, I wouldn't do that necessarily for someone, but, like, <laughs> she did so yeah totally so that goes back to it like how important it is mm -hmm. to surround yourself with the right people and the people that have the be your best interest and have that belief in you even in like you know the moments when when we don't have it ourselves um mm -hmm. okay something else I'm really interested in <laughs> yeah. to talk about is it's been all over the news like this controversy around OnlyFans because they, the CEO said that they were going to ban pornography on the website and there was a lot of backlash and they went back and retracted that statement and paused it for now. So it's mm -hmm. not happening as of now. But I think there's actually a lot of parallels to OnlyFans and Quinn, even though they're mm -hmm. totally different. One is audio and one is visual in the sense that you allow creators to put stuff on your website, and mm. it's like democratizing sex in a way. Both mm. of them are. And um, the CEO, after getting a lot of backlash, you know, he said that the reason he had to do this is because banks and these big institutions that he depended on to pay his creators wouldn't work with him because it's this sort of sin taboo industry. Mm -hmm. And I just really want to know, like, how are you thinking about this? How do you feel about this? Like, yeah. And what, what has been on your mind around this debacle? Yeah, so the OnlyFans situation is super complicated, and it's unfortunate that I feel like there's a lot of misplaced blame and sort of just, like, not very critical thinking happening on Twitter and stuff, but also, like, I get it. People are fucking angry. Like, I'm angry, too, for all these sex workers who, had you know, got jacked around a little bit this past week. I'm ultimately super glad OnlyFans, like, figured out a way to get this to work for everyone. Did, how did um, they figure it out? Like, Yeah, so basically, so here's how I think is good to think about it. Like, um, <laughs> it's complicated. So yeah, you have, like, you have a website like OnlyFans. And when you put your credit card information into OnlyFans, that um, OnlyFans takes that credit card information and says to your bank, hey, Caroline gave us authorization or Sabrina gave us authorization to take $20 out of her account. Um, so we're going to, can we do that? And then the bank says, oh, okay, yeah, like I see you have the correct code. I see you have the right information. Here you go. Here's $20. And by the way, that is not necessarily the money that you ever deposited. The bank has one big pot of money and they're not like you know, taking Sabrina, they're not marked Sabrina's money, right? Yeah. So it's like, it's from one big pot. So they're sending it then 
back to OnlyFans, and OnlyFans gets to keep it. Now, there's also another layer. Um, the banks themselves are not actually the ones doing that process. So, like, Stripe, for example, is a payment processor, and Stripe is responsible for that, like... So then you have OnlyFans, you have Stripe, who's saying, like... Uh, or Adyen or PayPal, who's another... Like, there are tons of payment processors. They're now the ones saying to... Uh, Wells Fargo or whatever, hey, we got the right information, can you give us the money, then they're getting the money, then they're sending it to OnlyFans. Wow. So there's a lot of different moving parts, and a lot of different people over the past couple of years have been saying, like, this whole bank thing is not working with the whole internet thing, because it, you guys are, you have so many layers, and the idea, just the concept of a custodial account, which is basically what our banking system is built upon is like someone who's good for the money and keeps you safe. That's like their supposed benefit is kind of like misplaced by the advent of, or is like not really necessary in the world of crypto in the world of the internet. Because basically what, it can, what you can do with crypto is you can send directly from your account to OnlyFans account. And yeah. there's no need for all this bullshit in between, no need for fees. You've heard this all on Twitter, I assume, and blah, blah, blah. So that's kind of an overview of, like, of kind of that. And so you might wonder, all right, so OnlyFans is, like, they have to go onto Stripe or they have to go onto whatever and make an account. And yes. in that, the whole process, they have to describe, like, their business because, because banks and payment processors and everyone really to do with, like, financial services, they have a lot of, like, what, you're, what you mentioned, like, vice clauses. And their logic for not allowing adult content is many-fold and confusing. So they might say, A, um, you guys are involved in illegal activity. Now, paying for porn is not illegal. Um, uh, having phone sex with someone is not illegal. Um, sharing nude images is not illegal. Paying for nude images, paying for video of porn is not illegal. However, distributing child porn is illegal. Uh, paying for child porn, anything to do with, obviously, child porn is yeah. illegal. Um, and now it's worth mentioning that Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, uh, any major social media platform has around, like, one million times the amount of child porn that OnlyFans has. Yes. Um, because OnlyFans has had to make a ton of, like, verification processes to comply. So banks are like, you guys have child porn. OnlyFans is like, well, we've only had, like, 10 child porn issues the past two years. So uh, it's not that. Then they say, well, it's chargebacks. So you might say, okay, what is a chargeback? Basically, uh, a wife finds, this is the classic example, that a wife finds her husband's OnlyFans credit card bill, gets mad. He has to be like, I don't know what that is, and call the bank, and the bank reverses it, and that has to go through the whole stripe <laughs> situation. And so that's one reason, and that ends up costing the bank and stripe and any other payment processor. Um, sorry, this is long. No, thing. this is really fascinating because <laughs> okay. I think people, at least I, like really don't understand this in terms of all of the things that have to do with the general sex industry. And mm -hmm. I mean, so many people are users or depend on OnlyFans, and this is like a very timely topic. So I'm grateful for your <laughs> in-depth explanation. Thank you. Um, okay, so so that chargebacks was another reason. Um, okay, but then there's a little bit more of a like, fucked up reason, which is, and this is like, I guess hearsay, but also like common knowledge, which is that banks, major banks like JP Morgan or Wells Fargo or whatever, they 
have really big accounts where they get that pool of money from. So it's very key if you're a large bank to have a giant, massive amount of cash on hand for obvious reasons. Where do they get that cash? They get that cash from endowments. So like things like the Harvard Endowment or the, what's that like famous, like railroad families back in the day, like the, the <laughs> yeah. kind of like, um, like really big family funds. Like I'm talking about like massive, what is that fucking family called? What is like the fam- this New York family that's so wealthy? Um, the Rothschilds or Rothschilds. something like that. Like something like that. Yeah, or, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like yeah. like There's really a few wealthy, of wealthy people. Yeah. Um, and, and so they'll have like a charity endowment type thing and they give that to banks. And so, oh, the Catholic Church, the anything Church of America, that's another great example where they get a lot of money, cash. And so, okay, so they have all these like important kind of like main sources. And these people actually say, we will not give you this money if our money is going to be used in like uh, processing payments or, or like, sorry, in payment dealings <laughs> for in, in accounts related to sex work, adult things, whatever. Um, and that is interesting because um, they're, they end up, it's like lobbyists, like they yeah. end up being swayed um, by, by these groups that give them their cash. So it's like everyone answers to someone else basically is like yes. the bottom line. And I think ultimately that was a long-winded way of saying like, yes, like the banks do have reason to not allow adult content um, because they're getting their cash from someone else. And like the, the reasons why they, why these like big funds who are giving the banks cash like won't uh, like have these moral things are like kind of like uh, age old puritanical moral hangups. Um, and I think it's really sad that it prevents ethical sex work from being possible. Yeah. Um, and I think we've all learned over time that the more you push something into the dark and the more you say, don't do this, the more it will happen in a bad way. Yes. Um, prohibition. Perfect example. Okay. You say it's illegal to drink. What happens? Everyone starts drinking. They start dying. Everything's bad. They're going crazy, nuts for alcohol. And the unregulated nature of it is really bad for everyone. And it's dangerous. And marijuana is a very similar thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and also, it's like, <laughs> it's just so bananas, right? Like, I could see an argument for alcohol being illegal, honestly, because it's bad. <laughs> but, like, inherently, um, it's bad for your body scientifically. Sex is not bad for your body. Um, and it really, like, the idea that sex is bad um, is rooted in people trying to maintain like a power structure that doesn't isn't necessary anymore. Yeah. You know, and it isn't really relevant. I have one question <laughs> yeah. and it's like not a personal pushback, but it's there's this conversation that and it's more in terms of boys and guys and men, yeah. but like that, you know, there's increased rates of erectile dysfunction in young boys and all these things and these porn addictions and it's mm-hmm. ruining the real life thing of sex. So like there is this narrative going around that mm-hmm. you know, porn can be bad for real in-person sex. And I guess my question is, how do you think about that in terms of like, yeah, sex is actually really good. You know, I just learned Mm -hmm. that it apparently makes, if you have sex at least three times a week, it can make you, they actually did a study that was like, it made people look like 10 years younger. Yeah. 
I mean, also, it's just, like, it feels good, and there's really, like, I don't know. That sounds like a crazy study when I said it out loud, but I actually read this. The point is it has really great benefits for your health and your body and your mental health and all these things. So it's a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. And our society has, in general, issues with pleasure for pleasure's sake. Um, And it's fair enough because few things, like, don't have consequences. But, like, sex is one of those things where, like, if you don't get pregnant, if you don't get an STD, if you practice safe sex— it can only be good. I guess don't get addicted. Okay, but on the porn thing, yeah. you can be addicted to sex and you can be addicted to porn. Um, on the porn thing, I think, um, you know, the type of porn that we see now, kind of one of my main theses around Quinn is around this. Like, with the advent of the internet, porn became the way we know it now. It was not always this way. So, like, in the 70s and the 80s even, like, the type of porn we consume now wasn't a thing. Like, the yeah. big pussy shot, like, the crazy, you know, things like facial abuse, like, horrific things happening on the internet right now um, about with women involved um, and porn involved. But so I think, like, that wasn't always the case. And it, I like to compare it to fast food because it's easy for us to think about. Like, with the advent of technology, food became full of trans fat, full of all these artificial things and, like, pumped, pump, pump with sugar and artificial flavoring. Um, and we loved it. But it's not like you can – it's not sustainable to health choice, right? Yeah. And we've learned that, that you need to eat real food. Um, and that's kind of the thing with Quinn is it's about real sex. Not even like – it's great sex, but it's it, – so not in the sense like real bad sex. But it, it's real and it's erotic and it's not this sort of like cartoonish version of sex. Totally. Um, and it's not like like – it's not like eating a Big Mac. It's like yes. it's like Chipotle. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it's like not Sex super. Like it's not super healthy, but it's also not like totally. It's just about anything good in moderation, and so yeah. And so it's like porn is a great thing in moderation, and and, and mm-hmm. most good things without that are bad. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true, but also it's like what kind of porn do you is your usual? It's true, and I think right? like going back to the idea of imagination, like. Mm-hmm. What porn started out with was a picture of a, a beautiful woman on Playboy, mm-hmm. and there's there was a huge element of imagination needed to imagine, you know, that woman in someone's bed and, like, mm-hmm. what that would be like. And, you know, and so I think even—it's not that video porn is not that, but I think, yeah, it has, like, more and more the imagination is taken out of it. Um that's why I almost feel like a lot of women I know find movie scenes mm-hmm. that are more suggestive, like sometimes even sexier than something you would find on Pornhub because yes. there's a lot more things suggested and there's imagination and there's a connection. And on this point, mm-hmm. um, I, I found this statistic that it was said seven out of 10 men watch stuff on porn that they wouldn't do in real life. So mm. that's 70%. And versus it said seven out of every 50 women like to watch things that they wouldn't do in real life. And so... And that's like, there's still a percent of people on both sides that want that or don't want that. But it shows that there are these fundamental differences in what most men and women want from um, the process of like masturbating or pleasuring themselves. And mm-hmm. have you seen that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of like cancelable these days to say that like men and women are super different. different. Yeah. But I think like, Ask anyone you've ever met if men and women are different, and they will say yes. So I, I, I really have no problem saying that. And I think it's especially true in the bedroom. Um, and maybe it's all societal. Who knows? But um, definitely women want different things. And, I mean, I see that every day with Quinn. Like, 
Queen is that experience you're describing of like uh, emotional, emotional is even the wrong word. I call it the intangible things about sex. Like things that make sex good are not about whether you're in cowgirl or or anal or the hentai. It's about like, do you, do you actually fuck with their energy? Do you like get turned on by them even saying like your ass is amazing? Like yeah. that's the kind of good sex people want. They want that. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I like saying to but, the people. But they don't want like, I, and I, yeah, I just think like, it's it's like we we got the internet and we went nuts, okay? And yeah. now it's time for like, okay, what do we actually want? You totally. Know? It's like kids, kids with they went crazy. Yeah. <laughs> they did. And um, I think it's really interesting that the way that the internet has changed things, obviously in every single part of our society and in our experience, but also in the way like I feel like 40 years ago, people that were young had a lot of freedom like when they weren't home because you're not being tracked mm-hmm. by your parents. You're not oh, on a cellular device. Yeah. And now I almost feel like people find that inter- that freedom like on the internet in a sense. Um, I like that perspective a lot. Yeah. And I think that's like it's almost like they're experimenting on the internet versus in real life. Um, mm-hmm. But looking to the future of Quinn, <laughs> what do you... What do you hope it is or what do you hope it gives people in 5, 10, 15 years? Like, what's that dream vision when you wake up and you're like, that's what I want to build? Um, It's two-part. Like, one, I really believe, and I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't, that every woman in the world will eventually use Quinn once, twice, three times a week to masturbate and orgasm. And... And we have a long way to go with our product, and women have a long way to go finding us and things like that. Um, but that's really, like, my dream and my goal. And then secondly, like, our ethos with Quinn is giving women a substantive product, so something that really offers them value. And our marketing kind of centers around that, too, because I think, like, a lot of products marketing marketed to women are aspirational in that they're about being prettier, they're about being thinner, they're about being better, Um and our product isn't. And it's not like we're like all like re- hashtag real beauty. Like you're, it's not that. It's just like we want to make you laugh. We want to make you come. We want to offer something to your life. So like if you're on our Instagram, we hope you laugh. If you're on our app, we hope you have the best fucking nut of your life. And like that, I don't want to just be like yelling at you. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> totally. That's so cool. Thank I think you. there are so many things out there that are like, just yeah aspirational and I think most accounts that people follow (laughs) exactly and this is more like wait exactly what you want in your desires like we're here to help them happen and like right Mm now um that's awesome and I totally do feel that way I was scrolling through your TikTok the other day and I thought it was like just bringing these conversations to the forefront that like a lot of friend groups might not Mm. feel comfortable having yet or they haven't and like there's make, just normalizing the experience of having sex and masturbating and pleasuring yourself and all these things and making it okay to talk about in public. And um, yeah. I think that's, like, such a big part of it, like, the social media around the brand, just yeah. normalizing that conversation. Yeah, and I mean, one thing we talk about all the time is, like, if you go on the Quinn app and you read the comments on the audios, like, everyone's anonymous because your username is, like, your choice. And people are just, like, absolutely clowning in the comments, like, being so funny and, like, so they're like comedians and and I die laughing at all their, the shit they say and I think that's like a testament to like the the community we're trying to build of like it's a space where like we want substance and we want you to be funny and we want you to be happy and like it's not performative and that's like the vibe we try to give on TikTok too is like 
we want to give you content that's actually funny or actually like relevant to your life or actually interesting. Um, and like, I think yeah. I think you're succeeding in that for sure. I really <laughs> do think like that. That's the vibe I got from it. That's so nice. Thank you. And um, <laughs> okay, my last thing mm-hmm. is your. We talked about advice a lot. But I think, like, something that I have been around a lot is people have ideas, and they just have no idea how to make it into a product. So, like, mm. if we flash back to senior year, Caroline, you're at Stanford, you have this idea, you start listening to audio porn, and you think, like, hey, this is really important, and I really want more women, men, whoever, to be able to use this tool. I want to make it mainstream. Mm-hmm. And then how did that go from an idea like, what were the first six months like, that process mm-hmm. of making it into a company? Because, and yeah. that is a huge question, but I more mean, like, yeah, just because I think some people just don't even know where to start. No, honestly, that's, like, so valid and something people should talk about more. Um, I had no idea where to start either. I think there's two parts of a company. There's the product, and then there's how, how do people find out about it. That's, like, such an over... Like, that's not the case. <laughs> that's one way you could think about it in really simplistic terms. Um, but that's, like... I think just, like, always go back to uh, what if I were a random user and someone told me about this, like, and I tried it, whatever your product is, would I enjoy it? And, like, just, like, be honest with yourself about that. Um, how you actually start things, like, it, I guess it depends what your product is. I would not try to do everything yourself. I definitely have tried that before, and it doesn't work. I would, I would try to find people that, like, believe in you, um, to give you the resources, to ask better, more experienced people to do things. Um, that's kind of, like, I think something I've learned over time. Again, it's so dependent on who you are. Don't listen to me, please. Please don't listen to me. I'm sure whoever listen you are is smarter. You're smarter than I am. <laughs> but I think, like... The it could be like it could be something like raise money from any amount of money really, and use that money to find experts. Um, doesn't have to be Albert Einstein, but someone who has built a website before, someone who has made content before. You know, you don't want to get like the fresh. I, I think like the idea of like starting a company with your friends from college is no longer a thing. Um, yeah. Like like find people who know what the fuck they're doing. Um, they don't, again, they don't have to be experts. They don't have to be CEOs, but, like, someone who's... They've had experience. They've had a little it. bit of experience because you're coming into this with, like, absolutely no experience, which is super important, too. Like, yeah. you want to be asking a lot of questions and, like... Because it's really easy also for people to take advantage of you, as we know. Like, the world of developer shops is, like, sketch as fuck because people are like, oh, here's another Stanford kid who wants to make, like, a, a porn app. Like, <laughs> we don't want to, like, we're just going to charge her a bunch and, like, see what, like, doesn't... Totally. And not feel, like, motivated to do the product, and no one ultimately is ever going to feel as motivated as you do about your own product. So if you want something done, then then actually do do it yourself. But <laughs> So I gave two completely different no, things. No, I, I actually think that makes so much sense. Like, on, like get help yeah. as soon as you can because mm-hmm. then you will be better at what you're focused on. And I'm sure, like, the way you did it, you had to learn about everything in your company. So now, mm-hmm. even if you're focused on only a part of it, right. you have really good insight. But I bet that it's, like, not to be forgotten that, like, people with experience in things are going to be better at that. So get help and don't right. be—yeah, it doesn't have to just be, like, a one-man mission. I do think a hack, though, is, like, asking a lot of questions to whoever you're working with. 
because like that's a quick way to figure out if someone knows what they're doing and if they're like doing the appropriate amount of work. Because like if you, I don't know, for example, like someone's managing your social, just ask them what's going on. Like be like, wh like what have you seen in the comments recently? What kind of content do you think is performing well? What are your favorite trends right now? Like ask dumb questions. Like what kind of strategy are you taking with social media? Like literally anything, just ask them things and listen to them talk, listen to how they think and... I think that's helpful. I really shouldn't be giving advice. I'm no, I not think qualified. that's such a good piece of advice. <laughs> yeah. Because um, you're the boss at your company, so usually that role would mean that you're telling people to do stuff. But asking right. you <laughs> asking questions probably gives you more insight into like what the different parts of your company are doing and how they're doing. Yeah, and if someone's like if someone's working like quote unquote ten hours a day, or that's a lot of hours, five, <laughs> six hours a day, like you should be like, what did you do today? Yeah. You know. Like, send me a text at the end of the day telling me what you did. And I don't think micromanaging is – I'm actually a fan of micromanaging, but micromanaging <laughs> is not necessary. Like, I think just, like, make sure you answer the questions you have because I'm sure they're valid, whoever totally. you are having questions. Yeah. Totally. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Caroline, I really think that was awesome. And, like, I think people have a lot to learn from hearing your device and hearing this episode. Oh <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me, Sabrina. This is so fun. I really love talking to you. And I think your your perspective on OnlyFans is so interesting because, mm. I mean, just most people have no idea how many layers there are to things. So you're right. It's easy to see a tweet, be like, the CEO did this because he wanted to. And in reality, there right. are <laughs> 10 layers to what's going on. And I think, you know, most things are probably like that. Um and that's like, and it's also like you pull on any one of the threads, and then you could go for days and days and days. So it's, yeah, I think it's more important to ask questions around it than it is to have all the answers. Totally, kind of going to my last point. Yes, questions, <laughs> not answers. Ask a lot of questions, which you're good at. <laughs> thank you, um, thank you so much for joining us today. Once again, I was with Caroline Spiegel, and have a great day.